This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. I've used the term the tyranny, the present. That's exactly where we're going to be for the next six months or so until some stability in the workforce and operating margins and length of stay and capacity management come into focus. Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I'm your host, Trevor Durin. I have multi-time and audience favorite guest Bill Woodson on because this time of year, the SG2 intelligence team is often hitting the road, working with boards and leadership teams as just kind of where we hit in the annual planning cycle. We get great intel and feedback from those audiences about what's top of line, what's most important for the C-suite and for boards of the health systems we work with. I get to do a few of them. Bill gets to do many more. So I wanted to tap into the audiences, the rooms Bill's been in and what those discussions have been and where senior teams are focused now. Bill, thanks again for being back on. And I understand you've been in the rooms with some more operational leaders recently, maybe different areas of focus depending on the audiences, but what's top of mind today for those leaders? Hello, everyone. Surprisingly to me, I've been invited to speak to a lot of chief operating officers and leadership teams on operational issues, and I'm not the best at that stuff. I've been doing a lot of listening, and not surprisingly, workforce is at the top of the list. As opposed to the first part of this year, we're starting to hear some positive progress on addressing workforce issues. Is it enough? I don't think there's any system that says it's sufficient, but the amount of experimentation that's underway is pretty powerful. And that's everything from the gig shift, so we're going to let people work three or four hours, to we're moving to monthly merit increases. We're giving up all of our usual background check screenings. We're not testing for nicotine or marijuana anymore. We're acknowledging that people may only want to work three years in the job we're hiring them for. So we're thinking differently about careers and onboarding. A lot of health systems have really done great work in building their pipeline of future talent and then just dealing with the committed core that they have to manage current challenges with length of stay and capacity. And I was surprised here last week, Trevor, from a group of CEOs that a couple of very large systems in the country have reverted to double occupancy rooms. And why? Because they can't staff all the units they have and they're that full. And it turns out there is a beneficial effect to that, which is the patients want to leave sooner. Get me out of here. So it's accelerated the discharge process. So it's the reverse of consumerism, but it's having a positive effect. The other piece of that puzzle is I heard having multiple conversations early with patients about the discharge process. And that means with the physician, with the care management staff, care coordination, or the discharge team, and even with social workers. We're starting to approach the discharge process differently, in part because in a lot of communities, there's no capacity in skilled nursing care or even home care where the patients want to go. We're absolutely consumed with capacity, length of stay, workforce issues. They're all interconnected. And at the same time, you know, we've got the latest data from Coffin Hall last week. The operating margins remain negative. And many health systems that we've worked with for well more than a decade, they're having their first years in the red in their history. This is forcing them into different sorts of decisions. Finally, one CEO said to me, but we lack a really good understanding of the present. And unless we have that, we can't focus on the future that easily. It's hard for us to make assumptions about the future if we don't have an accurate understanding of the present. 
what they mean by that immediacy of data view they're all in on the next quarter next six months they're thinking about their non-operating returns their capital budget where do we go from here and having to make some trade-offs that they've never had to make and that may mean look we understand we have to pay this part of our workforce a lot more so what do we give up on the operations side or our cost structure side to handle that. It switches over to the payer contracting discussion, which is how do you go to your payer and say, well, our costs are up X percent, double digits. So we need the largest increase we've ever asked for. And the payers, depending where they are in the country, are either acknowledging that or they're ignoring it. And that's leading to some very tense meetings. And next year, we're going to see a lot of health systems go out of network for the first time, we're going to see some real standoffs in the industry for a period of time next year. Do the C-suite teams seem pretty in sync around where they're focused? Or did you hear different stories from CEOs you may have talked to versus CFOs versus COOs? Yeah, I have two perspectives on that. And I got a great statement this week, which is, in general, we have agreement on what we need to do at the health system, but agreement does not equal alignment in terms of how we get it done. At the same time, there is generational turnover at the CEO level across the country in health systems, bringing in some new energy and some new ideas, but at the same time, some turmoil in a period where we need deep operational focus. There's a laser focus on operations, and we work with a CEO that you and I both know well. I won't use his name here. He's the most strategic thinker that I know, and he's called a timeout for 2023, saying we're all in on operations, basically, which means care coordination, length of stay, workforce. And the philosophy is this, if we can't solve those things, we can't grow, we can't achieve our strategic objectives. If we can't staff our growth things, we can't get them done. We have to solve for the here and now in order to be strategic. It's the first time in my career I've heard that approach. It's refreshing, and I hope they can pull it off. You notice any regional patterns to maybe how the story is a little different? I mean, this one's too simple, but I've talked to a few organizations that are in growth markets, some that we think of as traditional growth markets, others that just happen to be little pockets. And their story is slightly different just because their margins are going to be okay this year. Any other patterns you've picked up on? I've talked to CFOs in the markets that we know are the fastest growing, and let's call them out. So that's Columbus, Ohio, that's Austin, Texas, that's Nashville, that's Wake County, North Carolina. But what they're saying is, regardless of the number, it is half of what we're used to dealing with from an operational perspective. So we've never had to think this way as an organization before. Yes, the balance sheets remain relatively strong, but nevertheless, we're going forward with a different capital plan because of our uncertainty about the future. And while we did maybe a 10-year capital plan or a five-year capital plan, we're going to be reviewing that on a project-by-project basis moving forward. I do hear some relative stories of doing well in very specific markets. And those are based on legacy contracts with payers where they're guaranteed certain increases. And then we heard definitely from some systems on the West Coast that are doing quite well, which we didn't expect. But even the systems that are eating out a positive margin are feeling very uncertain right now. And we have to acknowledge that. And the things that we would talk about at SG2 that would be at the top of the list in terms of strategic growth, which is, hey, what are you doing with consumers? Shifts of care, your digital transformation, and then things about future moves across the system of care. Some of these are in limbo for the majority of the health systems in the country right now. 
That means we're having very different conversations right now. They recognize the importance of those things, particularly, particularly on the consumerism side, but it's almost like there is a pause right now. Uh, speaking of pauses, do you think that this will slow down M&A activity, just the big deals like health system level partnerships and mergers, or could it be an accelerating agent? It's going to cut a few different ways. And let's acknowledge that the FTC is taking a really hard look at the Advocate Aurora Atrium deal. I think what we're into ultimately is multi-system partnerships, affiliations, management agreements, joint operating agreements. We're into a next phase of what partnerships are really going to mean for the industry with each other, with physician groups, with the disruptors that we talk about in other podcasts. That's the future. Yeah, we're going to have some deals, obviously, but it's different. It feels qualitatively different than what it's been over the last decade. Any surprises of things that you didn't hear about that weren't discussed because people are so focused on a few of the things you mentioned? Yeah, if I compare it to a year ago, less discussion about the digital stuff because of the operational issues. Not that it's not going on. I just think it's being done at a different level of the organization. And something I'm a little worried about, which is a year ago, we had a lot of discussions about social determinants, health equity. I'm worried or maybe just acknowledging that because of economic constraints, that's just not at the same place on the priority list where it's been historically. There's positive focus now on what metrics are we actually using to view our performance in ways that we've never seen before. How are we actually doing from a productivity perspective? It seems like the strategic bandwidth is the term I've heard in a lot of meetings this year is reduced. There is just a finite amount of time capacity to take on the number of initiatives that health systems would have taken on classically this time of year in their 2023 operating plan. It's a much narrower focus. Yeah, with that in mind, what about capital expenditures. I've certainly heard projects that were already green-lighted are continuing to move forward. They're usually ambulatory-focused, usually new build, but smaller scale than some of the huge numbers we think of when we think about new hospital towers. Those are still moving, but I also haven't heard a lot of brand new ideas like that. What'd you hear? I ask about this a lot and slow down, but certainly not cancellations because those dollars have been committed. These are big ticket projects. There's now concern about we did commit this capital and will commit this capital to expansion of our inpatient capacity, our inpatient campuses. A good bit of it is updating and ongoing maintenance. There's a bit of anxiety about that, which is the highest and best use of our resources. And for the large systems in the country, and I'm thinking of two here in particular, Common Spirit and Ascension, where they have a lot of legacy inpatient footprint, I think these are tough times to think about capital spend, knowing that you want to be really thoughtful and nimble about ambulatory shift, how you use uh, medical office space, how you take on the digital footprint. What is your digital future if you had to use a lot less capacity than you've had historically? Also knowing that depending on your system, a higher percentage of your employees are going to work virtually. This year, we're seeing health systems stand up of virtual nursing units. It's an interesting time to think about long-term bets, short-term bets on how that those capital dollars are deployed. And certainly the advent of digital approaches to things is allowing some of the money maybe to be shifted from capital expenditure to operating expenditure. We'll have to see. It's still in flux in the market right now, and I've not heard anything particularly definitive. And we work with a lot of systems that still have pretty strong balance sheets. So I'll be interested to get some perspective on this over the next few months. Speaking of the next 
few months, do you think that these issues are just going to continue to be the focus for maybe the next three to six months? Or do you think there's a few other things that are going to start to pop? The election might be one of them. Midterms might be one of them. What do you think the next step is going to be? I think we're in the here and now. I've used the term the tyranny, the present. That's exactly where we're going to be for the next six months or so until some stability in the workforce and operating margins and length of stay and capacity management come into focus. That's just where we are. Our members do have the luxury. A lot of them still do some longer term planning. They are talking about their service line future, but I think their focus is a little more on operational issues. And gosh, I hope they get into pricing in the marketplace and partnerships the nature of the plants is sort of changing right now, but we're in a tough spot for the next six months at least. Has there been any difference in the focus that health system boards have right now, how leadership teams need to bring this message to the board? In the few boards I've worked with, again, in places scattered across the country, they're focused in the areas you'd expect. Workforce, they're always interested in the flashy consumerism and disruptor stuff. So I haven't really seen a huge shift in board's attention, even though they're really realistic about what a tough year this has been and what a tough year the budgets are building for next year are going to be. It's a tough time because there's so many health systems that have done very well for more than a decade. The boards have been able to be somewhat strategic in their thinking. Let's let management manage and we'll help with a strategy and lean in there. Now, depending on the composition of your board, they may be looking over the shoulder of management to ask tougher questions that can be helpful or that can be unconstructive for just what needs to get done. It's such an important time for how CEOs work with their boards and the composition of boards for what's going on in healthcare right now. And I do believe, by the way, we're reconstituting boards with different types of skill sets. There's healthy turnover that I'm seeing in boards right now. And then there's an interesting bit of tension, which is what's our tolerance for risk? In other words, hey, management, do we trust you to kind of figure this out? We still got to make some bets for the long term because we're comfortable with that and we can take the long term perspective. Or is it the opposite of that? There's a time frame tension that is inside so many health systems right now. And as we've mentioned before, there's a lot of new CEOs, new leadership teams. There's a lot of turnover. These are very different sorts of board conversations than I've ever had in my career. I know you got to work with a pretty unique audience recently of uh, private equity investors in healthcare. They're going to look at all of this through a totally different lens around where they find opportunities now and in kind of the near to midterm. What did they want to talk about? Where were they focused? They're looking for guidance on what's going to be a good investment in roughly a five-year time frame. We want cash flow positive businesses that show strong growth. And so we had a group of leaders from across different sectors of healthcare, and we were hosted by a very large private equity firm, and we kicked around priority lists. And it was pretty cool. And I don't know if I've walked away with some of my assumptions or hypotheses confirmed or wondering if we've got a good bit of groupthink going on. But out of that group, at the top of people's lists was behavioral health. And for those of you who track this, there are tons of behavioral health startups out there, not quite at scale yet. So I think there's a belief that some of them are going to get to scale and turn into cash flow positive businesses, consolidated or otherwise. Second is different aspects of healthcare at home, which we talk about all the time. And I hear some of the difficulties, frustrations of pulling this off operationally right now and working through the payment aspects of it, but a good bit of passion there. 
a surprising, still strong interest in aggregating, especially physician groups, and not for the pure purpose of just pulling them together for some random idea of scale. I think it's connected now to value-based care, value-based contracting. My skepticism there has always been about, so wait, you've got physicians who want to retire and you think you can create some positive economic formula there. I was actually in in a couple of specialties and I heard from some people in the industry who are working on this. There's some positive things there. And then there's still a surprising amount to be done on revenue cycle. We've barely scratched the surface on all the pieces of rev cycle what we can improve in efficiency, just beginning to use AI tools and machine learning. It's a much more complex world than I understand, but lots of potential that people see there. And then there are things that are just way out of my league. So this gets into supply chain automation, things about manufacturing, parts of the healthcare industry that I just are kind of out of my league. We get kind of the here and now for challenges of the health systems and the private equity world still feeling confident about things that can do really well over the next years. What they did not want to touch yet is digital. And they find all those plays too early. Series A, venture capital, too early to make the bets there. So certainly worth watching, but not something they're particularly interested in. That's a good one. Is there something that was a key takeaway that you kind of triangulated along the way that I didn't ask about? I think couple points, and this is more about things that I know you've been working on, which is what are the management processes right out? I mean, more conversations about systemness and what does it mean to work as a team? And so a couple of great quotes I got is agility is the period of time before change is actually realized. And what that connected to is some degree of agility that was achieved during the pandemic and a recognition that we need to continue some of that to realize the changes that we need inside health systems, which means we are now willing to look at the actual work and the workforce in ways that we've talked about but never really done before. And then another quote, which is health systems slash companies don't change, people do. There's a recognition that our leaders need to behave differently. And as individual leaders, we need to change ourselves to get ourselves to the next level of what's going to happen inside health systems. A lot of introspection, and that's something I'm particularly good at. The organizational structure stuff, organizational design stuff is always difficult for me, but I've never seen a more hopeful or helpful focus on the topic in the last 10 years. Bill, so many great things there. I'm glad we talked today. Thanks for sharing your insights, ideas and perspectives with the SG2 Perspectives audience. As always, look forward to having you on again soon. Thanks, Trevor. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review us, and or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn at SG2 Healthcare. And if you want to talk more about innovative healthcare strategies, you can always email me at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Finally, SG2 is a Vizient company, and there are a bunch of Vizient podcasts that you might like. You can find them at Vizient backslash podcasts. Have a great day.